Brian Mason has beef that could lead to the end of milking the cash cow. This week, Brian Mason attempted to put the cash cow out to pasture, but is it a good idea? As with every question on the internet, no. No, it is not. As well, we have more questionable counselor ward expenses, and the police are looking in on whether to release the names of victims. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 26. This is council's off week, so we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel for stories, and who knows what we'll get to, but we've got a lot of provincial news this week, which, thanks, Brian Mason. Perfect. But we'll start with the rapid fire segment. Outgoing Edmonton Eskimos CEO Len Rhodes was appointed the UCP candidate in Edmonton Meadows without a vote. Three other candidates had been campaigning for the past year before they found out that there would be no contest. Uh, This marks Len Rhodes' entry into politics where the UCP is a logical choice. The name of the party is often mocked for sounding like someone watching another urinate, and belonging to an organization whose name brings disrepute is something that Len Rhodes is intimately familiar with. The cold streak is over. After 18 days with highs below minus 14, the streak ended on February 18th. Edmontonians collectively breathed a sigh of relief this week as we crossed that threshold, which also conveniently fell on the one-quarter mark of our 16-month winter. Snoop Dogg was in Edmonton this week for his concert, and the whole affair just turned out to be uneventful. There were no pot-stoked riots, and raving stoners didn't roam the streets looting munchies from 7-Eleven. Look, are we even sure that weed is still legal? It's just so uneventful. I want to think of the children, but I can't seem to find anything to clutch my pearls about. Speaking Municipally is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This week, we're going to tell you about Park Power, which is owned by Chris Kosowski, who has a growing and well-deserved reputation for being a guy who cares. If you're in the Edmonton area, you may have seen him around town in his signature bow tie, supporting local causes and boosting local business. He walks that talk with his business, and that's why Park Power shares 10% of its profits with local charities. When you sign up, you get to choose which partner gets to share in the profits. You can learn more at parkpower.ca. So, Mac, last week we talked a little bit about ward expenses and questionable counselors and... Strange decisions with taxpayer money Mm -hmm. seems to be a thread. Yes, it's weird that politicians making strange decisions with taxpayer money is a consistent thread, but we're picking up on another one. So this is something that I had bumped on before. Uh, It's when we were looking at the councillor ward expenses, we had looked at Tony Katarina's ward expenses, and it seemed perfectly normal. You know, he's got about $138,000 of spending, and about like 120 of that is spending on staff, which is... Pretty Pretty typical. Typical, yeah. We talked about the other counselors, you know, having a a research assistant or an executive assistant. That's pretty much the only thing most counselors spend their money on. Yeah. Then CBC did some reporting, and they had a little tidbit that really caught my eye. Tony Katarina is unique in the counselor's office because he's only got one staff member. And who might that be? His son, Rocco Katarina, failed Ward 4 candidate. So just to unpack some of this stuff... That means Rocco Katarina, Tony Katarina's son, yep. is getting basically double what every other counselor assistant is getting. At He's getting paid $128,675.45 in annual salary. And that seems pretty weird. A little bit of nepotism right perhaps, there. Perhaps, perhaps. Um, it gets a little bit worse because I did some math. A 
A counselor's salary is actually less than that. A counselor gets paid $113,416 in 2018. But when you add their vehicle allowance of $7,216 and their transition allowance of $6,543, if you're adding some of those up, the number gets pretty damn close to $128,000. So what happened is Rocco Caterina ran in Ward 4, lost to Aaron Paquette, yep. and then went to his daddy's office and picked up a counselor salary. And got pretty much the same thing. So what's the significance of this, do you think? I mean, it, he's not really breaking any rules, right? Yeah, nepotism isn't illegal, and he has full leeway with that money. But it looks bad. Uh, yeah, it looks way worse than John's NBA. Because John Zadek, he had justification, okay? Right. We may have disagreed about the personal benefit versus the public sure. benefit of his yeah. NBA, but he had a justification. Like and it he, was a real reason. Yeah, and he legitimately thought that, you know, this NBA was a good idea. Right. Tony Katarina could not be reached for comment from the CBC, and this is not abnormal. Tony Katarina does not respond to people, constituents sure. or otherwise. <laughs> but this is egregious because this is... A hundred percent personal benefit. His son is just getting the money that he would have won by winning an election. It it baffles my mind that this is not the big story when John Zadig got picked up everywhere. And he was picked on quite hard for that. But you're right. This is a, a little a little more clearly a personal benefit situation. There's really not much else to say on that other than, geez. Well, people should know about it, right? And if you're a constituent of Tony Canaritas, you can attempt to reach out to him, I suppose. You know, it's a off week for council, so I can digress into personal stories. Here's the thing. When I was running for Ward 11, there was a point in the election where my eat your peas platform uh, wasn't popular with constituents. Okay. Um, And I had considered, well, what if I just do performance art the whole time and go and be super racist at the doors, Trump-style politics. And then when I get elected, it's just two middle fingers to my constituents and say, <laughs> recall legislation doesn't exist in Alberta. You're stuck with me. So, Ward 7, you're stuck with Tony Katarina. Vote in 2021. Moving on, uh, the Edmonton Police Service, uh, they have historically batted heads with the likes of Paula Simons on a particular policy, which is going under review. Yeah, that's right. The police have been criticized by the media for uh, quite a while now, in particular by Paula Simons, as you say, when she was a columnist, and by Janice Johnston at the CBC, uh, for not releasing the names of victims, victims of homicide or domestic abuse and domestic violence. Um, And they've talked about privacy and other reasons why, but it's never really been super clear why they haven't named names, uh, especially when other jurisdictions, Calgary and other cities, have been far more open about releasing the names of of victims. Last week, the Alberta Council of Women's Shelters also chimed in and, and called on the police to release names. Um, So when Chief Dale McPhee was doing his round of interviews in early December after it was announced that he would be the new police chief, you know, he committed to reviewing this policy um, and exploring how the police might do this. And then again, earlier this year when he was sworn in, he reiterated that. And so the update this week is that essentially they are finalizing the contract for the uh, 30-day review shortly. What do you make of this? Is this something that is just overdue and that would have been done anyway? Or is this chief new chief dale mcphee coming in and actually making material changes to the eps 
I think this is something that's overdue and was going to happen at some point. Our, our former police chief was very much against uh, releasing names. He wrote a uh, an op-ed piece essentially saying, no, I don't think we should be releasing them. There's other considerations. Um, it wasn't going to happen under his command. Um, but I think for the police service as a whole, you know, taking the chief out of it, I think it's overdue um, to at least review it and come up with some real rational reasons for the policy one way or the other. Uh, so it's great that the new chief has been open to that criticism and has, um, to his credit, stuck to his word and is going to do something about it. Uh, I guess we'll see what the results of the review are to see what the next step is. That brings us to the big topic of the week. And thanks, Brian Mason, for giving us a big topic. Mac, I have a question for you. All right, you're... Shoot. You're prominent Edmontonian. You go around and you have coffee with some people. Have you ever been in sort of like a coffee shop or a room and you looked around and you said, I don't like some of these people I'm in a room with? Oh, sure. I judge people all the time. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, what if you could just kill 15 of them next year? That's what Brian Mason <laughs> wow. proposed today. I did not see that coming. No, you did not. And I planned it. Brian Mason announced today that the photo radar review uh, had been completed. This was commissioned several years ago. It was supposed to be done in 2017, got delayed, got delayed again. Finally, the report, it was finished uh, last September-ish, and then they were deciding for the past five months what to do with it. And there was a press conference today. And essentially, eh, there were some choice quotes, but uh, he said, we're going to put the cash cow down humanely. So there's a lot to unpack here, and I think the good place to start is... What is photo radar, Troy? Yeah, okay. So here... I, I don't drive much, as you know. Here's the thing about all of this discussion. The point of this is basically David Staples writes significant amounts of columns blasting photo radar, and in Calgary... The Rick Bell, the son, he writes columns blasting photo radar, and people think, hmm, these columnists are saying it. They must know what they're talking about. It's a populist thing to yeah. promote. In fact, they don't know what they're talking about. So a couple of things came out today. Essentially, what Brian Mason got up on the stage and said was, one, that photo radar has been used as a cash cow in some municipalities in Alberta, which is true. Uh, we we know this is a fact. Um, there have been municipalities that have abused the program. How did where do those facts come from in this case? So how do we know that that's true? So there was uh, it was Morinville, I believe. Yeah, Lisa Holmes, the former mayor of Morinville, has come out and said, you know, there were some issues with photo radar in the past. Okay, and there were other municipalities in Alberta where basically they contracted out the entire photo radar program, and the contractors didn't have any oversight. So their incentive was just to maximize tickets. So they set up only in one place that was guaranteed to get a lot of tickets, and then just issued tickets. So there's evidence that this has already happened. Yes. Okay, got it. There is no significant evidence that it happens in Edmonton or Calgary, the place where these columnists lampoon it right and the places where everyone in the province assumed brian mason was talking about right brian mason tactfully today did not say which municipalities had been using it okay. as a cash cow interesting so let's break down some of that right there first let's look at grand prairie okay grand prairie has 282 photo radar locations with $4.1 million of revenue per year on average, it's got 63,000 people in Grand Prairie, which if you do the math, equates to about $650 per person per year in photo radar tickets. Edmonton, in contrast, has 272 photo radar locations, 
10 less than Grand Prairie. It brings in $50 million of revenue, but with a 932,000 population, that's only $53 per person. So Edmonton is clearly not the outliers in some of these. Edmonton, We're not raking it in per person compared to a place like Grand Prairie. Yes. Edmonton clearly. does make the most photo radar in the province. Uh, we beat Calgary by about a third. Calgary, in terms of absolute revenue. In, in terms of absolute. Yeah. Calgary brings in about $30 million. We bring yep. in about $50 million. And that owes to Edmonton has automated enforcement as part of its traffic safety strategy. This right. is just a path we have chosen. And didn't we hear just recently in the news that actually photo radar revenue has gone down mm-hmm. in Edmonton because evidently people are driving more safely, which doesn't seem likely, but... In fact, that was one of Don Iveson's responses when he was asked by the media. Okay. He said, well, the numbers in these report are also from 2016, so right. we've actually seen a decline since this point, so we're pretty happy about that. Okay. The report unequivocally says that photo radar does reduce collisions okay um the report does say that the reduction directly attributable to photo radar is marginal so what that equates to is overall collisions have declined almost 30 percent in the past 10 years but the report says that 1.4 percent of that reduction is attributable to photo radar that sounds oddly specific 1.4 percent they did some math. Um, Interesting. I can't speak to the 1.4% was the number, but, uh, but 5.3% observed reduction in significant or fatal collisions, which makes sense. Again, we know that higher speeds leads to higher yeah. fatalities. Right. If you look at the province of Alberta, and this comes back to the 15 people in a room, Yep. we have 300 fatal collisions in Alberta every year. What we're saying is we know that photo radar decreases fatal collisions by 5.3%. So Brian Mason got up on stage and said, next year we're going to kill 15 Albertans. And I'm putting those words, I'm comfortable putting those words right in his mouth. That doesn't sound very good. We have the photo radar program that's vastly unpopular. Yeah. This is a populist approach. We're heading into an election. That's what it comes down to. Right. Brian Mason got a lot of positive press for the NDP today because... Even the far-right columnists can't help but agree with him when he says we're going to abolish photo radar. It's like, you might hate the carbon tax, you might not agree with minimum wage for all, but by golly, you'll be thrilled if we get rid of photo radar. That's kind of the pitch. Whether you like photo radar or not, I don't believe that there is any way for any reasonable person looking at all the information to come away and say this is a good thing. So the big problems, sure, if you're okay with 15 extra people dying because beep, beep, go fast on the roadway, that's that's one thing. But what we've effectively done here is we've decriminalized speeding. Yep. And we've had a significant overreach in provincial power, uh, which both should be really concerning. And I want to address the decriminalized speeding because some people will say, oh, you know, it's different zones and this. They still have other enforcement. There's still police with guns and things like that. Radar guns, I mean. Yeah. So there's a couple things to unpack there. First is that Brian Mason isn't abolishing photo radar. He says we're changing the guidelines of photo radar. Okay. It says things like transition zones. You're not going to have photo radar in those transition zones. And you need to broadcast the locations of your photo radar trucks through some transparent mechanism both of which edmonton already has right and that was don iveson's response to this is okay well we're already compliant yeah we're compliant with this legislation so all good we'll we'll talk to the minister knowing that we haven't seen the specific details yet but what brian mason indicated would be in those guidelines we're compliant with yes except for one key point 
Brian Mason was asked point blank in the question and answer period. So does this mean next year we will see photo radar on the straight areas of the Hende? To which Brian Mason responded unequivocal, no, you will not. So what that's saying is we can't have enforcement of speed on straight areas of the Hende. Or if you read into it, it is acceptable to go fast on those. People could say you could have police officers. Right. But the Hendes, it's an eight-lane roadway at some point. If you have a police officer, they can only stop maybe five, ten people in an hour because you need to pull up, you need to get them to pull Knock over. Knock on the window. Do the whole rigmarole. Yep. And are we saying that it is better to pay ten officers, take them off the streets from enforcing other things, to have them enforce 15 kilometers an hour over on the Hende, and then do substantially less than one city employee clicking a button in a truck can do. No, we're not saying that because disingenuously, everyone that agrees with this is actually not saying we think photo radar is a cash cow. They're thinking I want to speed and get away with it. I just don't want to have to pay the fine when I get caught. So functionally, we either significantly ramp up our enforcement costs for significantly less enforcement. Right. And enforcement that we know does work 5% better than police officers anyway. Right. Or we simply do not enforce on those locations, in which case we have decriminalized speeding. And if you look across the border at BC, who did increase speed limits on provincial highways mm-hmm. just years ago, they got a report back last year that said, oh, fatalities on our highway have skyrocketed. We messed up. We made a mistake. Not great there. Okay, well, let's unpack the second point then around the um, legislative overreach. So one of the things that I, I wondered about when this came up is... Surely, you know, the big city charter with Edmonton and Calgary should allow us to look after this ourselves. Why do we need the province to hold our hands? Surely. The response, I think, is, yeah. I mean, this should be the case. The big city charter allows cities to override certain aspects of provincial legislation where big cities should. So the Traffic Safety Act is some of those. We can change how crosswalks work. We can speed limits. Do do things like that. Yeah. Um, of course, there's no actual policy associated with this photo radar program. And in fact, Brian Mason today said he's not going to set a threshold of you need to have this many collisions in an area or certain set of criteria to be considered a cash cow. He just said, we'll look at it and we'll know. What that's saying is the province is going to look into how a city is conducting its business within its borders. And then based on the whims of the day, decide how to micromanage that specific part of the system. Edmonton has a traffic safety continuum. We've got, right, photo radar is the end of the, we've first got, you know, the community outreach signs, we've got education, we've got the digital speed boards, and then at the very end, we have photo radar as the final stick. Yeah. The province is swooping in and saying, no, you don't get that final stick, but we're not going to give you additional traffic safety funding. We're not going to fund more officers. We're not going to fund any other approaches. Yeah, we're saying we're going to nationalize, make photo radar specifically a provincial concern and hamstring all of your traffic safety initiatives because we want to win an election. So it seems like that's the simple response here. They're simply out to get more votes. And this is a populist thing that can earn them a better standing, you know, come election day. Do you think there's an another possible explanation is there some other reason they might be pursuing this no with a caveat okay so like i said there are municipalities in alberta that have been cash cows okay so the commissioned report was 
unquestionably a good thing. When the provincial government decided we're going to look at photo radar, that's great. And the report doesn't suggest doing a lot of the things that Brian Mason is doing. Brian Mason got a report that had guidelines like we should be more transparent with locations. Mm -hmm. We should not have it in transition zones. And then he said, okay, we're going to put the cash cow out to pasture (laughs) because he wanted to get that headline. He wanted to make that decision based on what he admittedly said was spotty data. Right. So it's not backed by concrete evidence informing that decision. And the key thing is for most of Edmonton, nothing's going to change because... Brian Mason said, we're not getting rid of photo radar. Cities just have to justify that a location is, you know, it's all for safety. And then you can have photo radar there. Right. So none of our inner city streets are going to change. We're still going to have photo radar on Calgary Trail by Strathcona School. We're still going to have it on Stony Plain Road because there's been collisions in these places. It makes sense. Right. The only thing he said point blank was we're not going to have it on the Henday on straight areas. Now, what's... The jurisdiction of the Henday. Mac, is that a municipal road? It is not. It is provincial. But who polices that provincial road? I do believe it's Edmonton police. Yeah. The province had said, Edmonton police, you have jurisdiction to enforce speed limits on this provincial highway. If I'm Don Iveson, I'm reading this and I'm getting a little bit frustrated. I'm saying, okay, you know what? It's your problem now. Right. The Henday, you can send the RCMP and you can pay the money to enforce on this road because... Or give us more money. Or give us more money. And we'll do it. Or allow us to do our jobs. But when Brian Mason gets on the stage and says, we're not allowing it on the Henday in these locations, suddenly Edmonton's traffic safety strategy has become a political bargaining chip. And the NDP doesn't need votes in Edmonton. What are they doing? Oh boy. Troy, Troy has comments about photo radar. You've, but you're the man in the know. Yeah. You've pulled the data. You FOIP it every year. I do. I do FOIP it every year. And I got responses on Twitter when I was complaining about Brian Mason. Couldn't resist. You had to tweet it out. Yeah, I was tweeting. And <laughs> someone said, not to be a jerk, but are you basing this on opinions or facts? And, you know, he was insinuating, oh, Troy just hates photo radar. Yeah, and I'm like, well, hates the decision or whatever. Yeah. Well, actually, I've been researching the photo radar program longer than Brian Mason's been a <laughs> cabinet minister on transportation. So, hey, what are you what are you gonna do? They should have paid you to do the report. Like it or hate it, whether or not you like the photo radar program, one, it's not gonna change. Edmonton is still gonna have as much photo radar, but you really should stop celebrating this because this doesn't bode well. Provincial jurisdictional overreach never ends very well because at the end of this road is Doug Ford slashing municipal councils right during an election. And that's not a place we want to be. Absolutely not. A brief update we mentioned last week about the Mill Creek Ravine and daylighting and what's going on with that. And I think maybe it might be a good idea for you to just quickly define daylighting. Yeah, that would be because uh, explaining things is important. Uh, So daylighting is where you take a natural waterway that's been through some construction project, diverted. Daylighting would bring the full flow of the creek back up to the surface level. It would allow fish and other organisms to thrive. And daylighting is a positive thing from an ecological perspective. Right. So the proposal was basically, well, if we're doing the valley line construction and we're going to be at the mouth of this ravine, hey, let's daylight it. Let's restore the natural flow. Right. Uh, So we looked into it. And we're still not sure precisely what happened. We reached out to the clerk's office and the counselor's office, and 
One brief update is the report that came back on daylighting said it was going to cost north of $80 million. So that's a big chunk of change. And council had written a letter to the province and the feds and said, hey, can you give us some money? You're going to fund the Valley Line anyway. Why don't you kick in a little to help us restore the natural environment? As of yet, there hasn't been a response from other orders of government, either positive or negative. So that bit is in limbo. Right. The other bit where the city was supposed to basically fund from its own coffers $1.8 million for a master plan of that park area by the Mutart yep. and where daylighting would occur. Right. There was supposed to be a master plan for development there. That was supposed to come back at a capital budget adjustment and... It's still disappeared. We haven't tracked it down yet, but we're still still sleuthing. We're on the case. Other than that, uh, the only thing to mention this week is that Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. And one of the other members of the network is the City of Champions podcast, hosted by Shane Fennessy. Each episode features an interview with interesting Edmontonians. A recent episode featured Ashif Maji, who, if you're thinking, Maji? Max said that word before. You bet he has. It's been in the tech roundup quite a bit. With AI money, you know, subscribe to Taproot Edmonton Tech Roundup to learn more about that. You can listen to the podcast at shanefen.podbean.com or, of course, albertapodcastnetwork.com to learn about all members of the network. Council's back next week after a family day week break, public hearing, and regular city council meeting. Yep. And, you know, we're not at the 30 minutes, Mac, but... Council's on break. Boss isn't home. We're out. We're out. Call home early. Yeah. We'll see you all next week. Until then, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.